This is Statehouse Blend Missouri, a series of conversations with Missouri lawmakers and leaders about the policies and politics that affect people's lives. Welcome to a very special episode. I'm Brian Ellison, host of KCUR's Statehouse Blend Missouri podcast. And I'm Jason Rosenbaum, a political correspondent for St. Louis Public Radio and the host of the Politically Speaking podcast. And today we are bringing the full power of both podcasts together to join forces in a statewide action-packed roundup to end all roundups. Or maybe we'll just talk about the 2019 Missouri General Assembly legislative session, which came to an end last Friday and actually made some news. So besides Jason and I, we've also got here in Kansas City. Samuel King, KCUR 89.3. And over there in St. Louis. Rachel Lipman, a colleague of Jason's. All right. Well, let's get started then. And uh, this was the first legislative session for Mike Parson as governor, his first, his first year uh, as uh, the governor for the entire session, we should say. The last session uh, came to an end with uh, Mike Parson about to step in. It also was the first year for the uh, new House Speaker, Elijah Har and new Senate President Pro Tem, Dave Schatz. Uh, when you look back at this session, uh, do you think the Republicans who were in charge of it will consider it a success? Do you think the governor will find it a success? Jason Rosenbaum? I think by any objective measure, the answer to that question is yes. In fact, I was remarking to people when I was leaving Jefferson City that when I was going to write my overview of the session, this was going to be the first time you could definitively say a governor had a successful legislative session since 2005 during the early days of the Matt Blunt administration. And the way I define success is if a governor wants something and the legislature passes it, it's not meant to be a commentary on whether the policy is good. But the governor wanted a slew of workforce development programs, and that passed in the last week of the session over the objection of some conservative senators, which we're going to talk about later. He also wanted bonding to repair bridges, and he also got that on the last day of session. And as we're definitely going to talk about, the governor wanted a a pretty expansive bill to ban abortion, and he also got that on the last day of session. So by that measure, yes, he did have a successful session. Rachel, you were down there uh, for the last week of the session, as was Jason. Uh, was it your sense that uh, the Republicans felt good about it? How about the Democrats? I think the Democrats would point to the legislation they were able to stop. They were able to stop uh, legislation that would have expanded the number of guns that could be carried on campus. They stopped some reforms to uh, the way sexual assaults were handled on campus or Title IX. I know they stopped the expansion of charters and vouchers. But I think overall, too, for the state, it was a success just in terms of the normal operation of government. Whether you disagreed with Parson or not, all sides said that he was approachable. He was open to deals. And If they um, disagreed with him, he wasn't going to send his attack team about it. And here is the leader of the Senate Democrats, Gina Walsh, sharing her perspective on how she thinks the session went for Democrats in the General Assembly. I think that he did a pretty, he came out of, had a good session. You know, he he got a lot of what he wanted. Um, We all worked together. I just think back to how it was a year ago. So, uh, It was kind of pleasant to have somebody that you could sit and uh, talk to and work with. 
Gina, Gina Walsh there talking about uh, Governor Parson having a good session, but partly because Democrats could work with him, unlike his predecessor, uh, Eric Greitens, uh, the, the Republican elected in 2016 who left office right around the time of the end of last year's session. Samuel King, uh, you started covering the Missouri legislature right after uh, Governor Parson took office. What was your impression of, of this session? Well, I thought it was uh, interesting and, and, you know, hate to be a broken record here, but in terms of getting your agenda across to finish line, uh, the governor did a very good job. Uh, I will say, though, and we'll probably get to this uh, as we as we talk here, um, there are still some tensions between the houses themselves, between the House and Senate and various leadership uh, positions and, and, and things of, of that nature um, in terms of uh, how things were done. And that's going going to linger. But they were able to put a lot of those aside on some of the big ticket issues, including abortion, including the workforce development, uh, incentives for GM and potentially other auto companies. Uh, so on, on that measure, it was a success. Well, one of the big issues on the docket at this, uh, this session of the General Assembly was abortion. It made national news. Uh, Missouri voting to approve a bill that bans abortion uh, after at the age where a fetal heartbeat is detected, uh, which would be almost all abortions. Clearly, the fate of this bill will depend on the courts. That may take years. But what do we expect the impact of this to be right away? Rachel? I think it it will depend on when Governor Parson signs this. It does not take effect until his signature. There is a clause in there that allows for that. In terms of what it does for Missourians, it is obviously going to make it more difficult for women to access the, this procedure. I imagine you'll see uh, clinics over in Illinois get a lot more patients over there. Uh, unclear what the fate of the Planned Parenthood clinic in Forest in St. Louis will be. That's the only clinic providing abortion in the state of Missouri. And whether it what happens with the conservative caucus, and again, we'll talk about this later, because they believe that taking a vote on this bill was held hostage to their concerns about some of the economic development incentives. But yes, this is going to go to the courts, how and or why or what eventually becomes the vehicle to challenge a uh, Roe versus Wade is unclear. But yes, this is going to end up in the courts. Jason, I was struck by the emotion uh, expressed on the floor during the debate, really on both sides of the aisle. As was I, I sat in the House chambers for most of the debate, and I would say, you know, I've been doing this for now about, I don't know, 13 years now. At least. Probably one of the toughest debates I've ever had to listen to as a reporter. And it's mainly because people on both sides of the aisle relayed personal stories about how pregnancy and also sexual abuse had affected them. The first clip I'm going to play is from Representative Holly Rader. She's a Republican from Sykeston, and she was in favor of Representative Nick Schroer's legislation. At 15, I had to quit school to take care of my family. And at 15, I was pregnant, homeless at times as a child. And at 16, I had my daughter. My mother struggled with mental illness, so she refused to help me. I did it on my own, and by the grace of God, he strengthened me, taught me, and I'm sure I wasn't the best mama, but I learned as I went through it. We made it, and I praise God for what he's done for me and my family. Life begins at conception. 
Psalms 119 says, your hands made me and formed me. And on the other side of the aisle, there were several Democrats who relayed their personal experience with experiences with rape and sexual abuse, and that included House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid of Springfield. Since my story of abuse, colleagues of mine, didn't affect your vote, that deeply personal story that tons of you came up to me in the hallways and it said, I'm sorry, sorry that happened to you, since that isn't changing your minds. Since you're fine with forcing children who have been raped to have their rapist babies, I truly hope when y'all go to sleep tonight that you think about that 11-year-old in Alabama we've all heard about, or the 12-year-old, or excuse me, in the 12-year-old from Alabama. I want you to think of the 5,700 children in the state of Missouri who had sexual abuse cases investigated in 2017. What Leader Quaid is referring to, or at least alluding to, is the fact that this legislation does not have exceptions for women that become pregnant due to rape or incest. And if Roe versus Wade is overturned, there's a complete abortion ban that only includes medical emergencies as an exception. That was a big reason why all the most of the Democrats voted against this bill, as well as at least one Republican, Representative Shemed Dogan of Baldwin. And what struck me, too, as I was listening to this on the feed, and it is very, very rare for there to be complete silence in the chamber yeah. when a representative is speaking. There is usually a lot of talking going on in side galleries or between the representatives on the floor. It was silent in there, except for protests towards the end of the debate when they were moving to close debate and, and take a vote. And that is exceptionally rare in either of the chambers. Well, and I think one of the things that a lot of folks were bothered by in the bill as it finally passed is that it didn't include uh, exceptions in the case of uh, rape or incest. And that was something that the governor got asked about at the press conference at the end of the session, uh, where he was asked why he signed the bill, even though it didn't include those exceptions. Uh, Let's listen to, to how he answered that question. Yeah, I think that's the way the language in the bill is, and that's that's what they voted on, what the legislators voted on. That's going to come to my desk, you know, and that's the provision that's in there. But why do you feel comfortable signing a bill that does not include exceptions for regular incest? I will sign the bill as it presented to me. Because I'm the governor of the state of Missouri, and that's what I do. And if you know, if they says legislators send a bill to me, I'm going to sign it. Look, we're going to sign the bill that is. You know, I've answered that a couple of times now. You know, I'm going to sign the bill as it is. Because it's a piece of legislation that the legislators voted on. I believe in the pro-life side of the, the issue, and I'm going to sign the bill. I do just want to add that he was asked about that uh, well after that series of questions. And eventually the governor said, look, I think all, that all life has value to it. All life does. I made that pretty clear about that my entire career. And I'm going to stand up for people that don't have a voice and everybody should have a right to life. And I believe that that kind of goes in line with what some other Republican supporters of this bill have said, that um, since there's not the death penalty for somebody who rapes a woman, there shouldn't be a death penalty for the unborn child. I'm again, I'm not making a value judgment of that. I'm just relaying what the message and the rationale is for people that didn't want a rape or incest right. exception though, though in this in, bill. In contrast to the president's uh, own articulated commitment to exceptions for, for those cases. Uh, Samuel King, I guess I'm curious what, what appear to be the, the, the results or the consequences, if you will, for Missouri. Has there been a response from, from business leaders? Is there concern about um, political fallout uh, as a result of Missouri taking this step? Yeah, we are 
a little more, sort of, I guess, around a little less than a year and a half now from uh, the 2020 uh, elections. And unlike a lot of other states, Missouri does have uh, a governor's race and, and obviously uh, legislative races as well uh, coming up in those uh, coming up next year. So Democrats are, are trying to use this uh, sort of as a rallying cry to rally the troops. And we did see sort of that um, as Jason and Rachel saw in Jefferson City this week. We did see that sort of outcry uh, from those protesters. Uh, I will say that this has been this debate has been ongoing uh, throughout the session. And when uh, we had the earlier uh, debates uh, for uh, this bill, HB 126, that eventually passed, there, there wasn't sort of the, the sort of the groundswell of protest. I mean, they were certainly present. And then when the Senate debated its version a couple weeks ago, they were there. But we didn't really see this sort of groundswell uh, until uh, this week when sort of um, the hay was in the barn, uh, uh, so to speak. So it'll be interesting to to see uh, sort of what that leads to next year. Well, one of the groups that can take some credit for making sure that this item got to the Senate's agenda in this last week of the session is the Conservative Caucus. This is a self-styled group of six Republicans in the Missouri Senate who uh, formed themselves as a caucus this year to represent uh, what they said was uh, truly conservative values. Uh, let me ask all of you, how, how big an impact did this group have? Are they uh, a real force now to contend with, or, or were they a flash in the pan? I think they had a mixed uh, impact on the session. Uh, when it came to the bonding plan for bridges I mentioned earlier, they were able to change that proposal um, to where the bonding would only happen if the state got a federal grant. When it came to the package of workforce development programs that got filibustered for over 24 hours by this conservative caucus, the end result was that, and I, I can't really think of any other way to say this, the conservative caucus got rolled on that. And they got basically no, no real valuable extractions from that. They said that they wanted to, to stand down because they, they wanted to make sure they weren't standing in the way of uh, Representative Schor's uh, abortion-related legislation. But if you're going to stand up for that long, you have to expect some sort of concessions. And I mean, I think I read one article from the Kansas City Star that they ended up getting uh, the pregnancy resource tax credit uncapped. Well, somebody described that as basically handing the governor a Sunday, and then the concession is putting a cherry on top because he, he <laughs> probably supported that. So I don't really see that as them getting anything in return. And on the abortion bill, I think that there was some differences of opinion about whether there should have been any compromise or any changes at all. Obviously, there were some changes, though I wouldn't classify them as as monumentally significant. So I think that they had some effect in some areas, uh, certainly with the prescription drug monitoring program, they were able to block that. So I don't want to say their their impact was totally irrelevant, but I don't right. think they were an all-powerful force that killed everything in sight. Well, if you ask them themselves, Senator Bill Eigel certainly thought they were a, a significant force. Let's hear his summary of the session. We were able to work against some things that we didn't feel uh, were within the Republican platform. And at the same time, we were able to do so while maintaining our relationships with the rest of the chamber. And I think it was very effective. Um, ultimately, I think that we were able to serve as the conscience of the caucus. And I think that we'll continue uh, those conversations that we started this year as we move into next year. Well, go ahead, Rachel. 
I, I mean, I'm struck a little bit by back when I was covering the Michigan legislature uh, more years ago than I care to admit at this point. Um, the Democrats had control of the governor's mansion in the state house, and the Republicans were sort of the the Republicans in the Senate were the ones saying we are going to be kind of a check on this. We won't become a caucus of no. It was kind of what they became in some ways. But you can't, you know, bank your success on being the caucus of no. I mean, you can in the Missouri Senate in that if you don't agree with something, you can shut down that chamber. And they did that several times, not just for the 30 hours on the Wentzville and GM bill, but they shut down debate on a a package that would have had Governor Parson's uh, workforce development plan separately because it didn't include education savings accounts. But if you continue to do that, maybe their constituents don't care. But I think at some point, leadership is just going to be like, look, we're, we're going to... We're going to have to to stop this. You know, you're putting other things that we can do at risk. And maybe they're willing to do that. I don't know. But I don't think you can bank success on being a caucus of no. I think we already saw some of that uh, during the, the session, uh, Rachel. Uh, some of the uh, – you would see some of – during some of the, the filibusters, they were accusing the House of slowing down their bills uh, and on, on the House side. Uh, the PDMP – issue, for example, uh, that's going to be interesting to see how those relations go, because Holly Rader, as we heard from earlier in in the abortion context, she's also been the big supporter of this uh, legislation in uh, the General Assembly during the time she's been in office. She's in her last year in office. She's term limited in the House. This is a prescription drug monitoring program, which Missouri is one of only, uh, well, is the only state that does not have a a state-sponsored prescription drug monitoring program, uh, which which supporters say is important in helping to prevent opioid addiction. And I was at a wrap-up of the session that some of the counties get from their lobbyists uh, from across the state uh, here in, in Jackson County. And one thing they pointed out that Holly is in charge of a rules committee which controls what goes into the House floor. Uh, so next year will be interesting to see whether these hard feelings linger, because she had some very harsh words for the conservative six, as did some of the, their Republican colleagues uh, in the Senate. Even uh, Mike Sirapoy from this side of the state, uh, the Lee Summit area, uh, criticized them for holding up some of these uh, incentives bills earlier uh, in the session. So I, uh, while they did get some wins in terms of abortion uh, and some of the other, some of their other priority stopping PDMP. They didn't get charter schools and whether uh, they're making friends among uh, the people in in uh, in their caucus and among the Democrats, uh, we'll see. Well, it does raise and a question, too, I think, uh, especially for those of us on, on this side of the state uh, who are familiar with the way the Kansas Republican Party has split into a conservative and moderate wing uh, that are essentially at odds with each other quite frequently throughout a legislative session in Kansas. Uh, are we are we moving toward a, a more complete split in the Missouri Republican Party, or is this small caucus of conservatives in the Senate really more of a blip? Um, I think I think it depends on how you define conservative, because if you look, if you pin all the Republican elected officials on a continuum of political ideology, they're all fairly conservative. Right. I mean, they have differences of opinion on things. And I, I think one of the biggest problems for Missouri Democrats was when they were in the majority, both in the legislature and statewide office, they were able to hold together a coalition that was ideologically diverse of moderates and conservatives, as well as progressive and liberal uh, politicians and activists. And that doesn't exist anymore. Those con- those conservative and moderate Democrats have become Republicans or they, they have died out in rural Missouri. Mm-hmm. So 
Could that happen? Pro- it probably will, just because the Republicans have just become so dominant in legislative politics and the expectation for them to agree on everything, I just don't think is a realistic possibility. Um, and until the Democrats are able to become more appealing outside of St. Louis, Kansas City, and Columbia, I'm not really sure that the the, the Republicans are in danger of losing significant, significant power. But Obviously, a year is a long time for things to change. So I also want to point out, too, that they were going to get abortion regardless. So they can point to it as a win. But regardless of whether they stood up or sat down, the Republican caucus in the Senate was going to make sure that that priority got across the line, whether right. it was by, you know, as as they say, holding it hostage to corporate welfare or whether by them pulling a procedural move and getting them to sit down. So to claim that as a win for the conservative caucus, I think, is slightly disingenuous. That was going to happen regardless. In in fact, their main contribution was to end their filibuster on on a different topic, which then allowed them to take up the abortion bill. Uh, But we talked about several of the things that this legislative session did accomplish, bills that did pass. I wonder, though, if we might spend a moment talking about some of the things that did not happen but got plenty of attention. Uh, Bills uh, that were under consideration that were not adopted, whether through uh, Democratic opposition or through Republicans not able to come together. Uh, Let's go around the table. Uh, What was it? bill that stands out to you, Samuel King? Well, I think the one, and uh, Jason and Rachel will hear for sort of how this happened, but the fact that throughout the session we were pushing, we're going seemingly headed for this uh, a sort of collision course on terms of uh, repealing Clean Missouri or Amendment 1, specifically the redistricting measures. Uh, Republicans uh, sort of did sort of what the Democrats, or maybe not the Democrats themselves, but the backers of Clean Missouri did last year uh, when it came to uh, tying it to an ethics uh, an ethics bill, ethics reform, uh, basically going a little further than Clean Missouri, but also rolling that back. Uh, they, it, it failed to clear, it cleared the House, but it failed to clear a key Senate committee the last week of the session, uh, sort of an own goal situation, some might say, when uh, several Republicans didn't show up for that committee hearing, a deadlock two to two, uh, the only way to reconsider in a, in a quick fashion would have been one of the no votes to reconsider. Of course, there's no votes for Democrats. They oppose this. Uh, so that's an interesting thing that did not uh, get through, but I'm sure it'll probably come up again in some form next right. year because they'll still have time to get it on the ballot. Right. There's still another uh, another legislative session next year before the next election. Uh, what else? Uh, Jason Rosenbaum. I think the most surprising thing beyond uh, the bid to undo the new state legislative redistricting system was the lack of action on low-income housing tax credits. And um, that issue loomed large uh, this session because Governor Parson had been very, very definitive that he wasn't going to restart the program unless the legislature did something to either scale down how many tax credits are issued or to change how the program is done. In fact, the quote that he said it to me in December was, uh, you know, he He's been a long, been around long enough to know how it works. Stall, stall, stall to the last day and say, whoop, we ran out of time. That's not going to happen. Well, that is exactly, exactly what, what happened. happened yes. And, you know, there are just I, – I have actually toured a lot of low-income housing tax credit housing projects myself, and I've met people that live there. This is a program that can change the lives of, of people that don't have a lot of money. And I understand the push from some people to – make sure that this is available again. But the the opponents of this, and I think this is this is objectively true, say that this is a lucrative in governmental subsidy that has made a lot of private developers a lot of money. 
and there is debate over whether or not it's efficient or not, or whether it even needs to be efficient or not. Um, so with that as a backdrop, I think that there are supporters of this program that want the governor to go back on his word and restart this program to allow the state tax credit to, to go again. I just think, though, that based on what he has said publicly, if, if he ends up reversing himself on that, and admittingly, this is a very insular topic that really politically connected people care about, but does affect actual people, I, I think it will, will make people question if he makes similar promises in the future, whether he'll he'll hold on to them. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see whether the governor sticks to his guns or his pressure to reverse course. And real quick on that, Jason, he does sort of have an out in that both houses passed uh, some sort of legislation on it. They just couldn't come to an agreement on, on the final language. So uh, yeah. perhaps that gives him some uh, wiggle room there that, look, the, the legislature made some effort here, but uh, as you mentioned, didn't quite... Uh, come to an agreement to send the bill to him. I'm just going to say, based on what he told to me, that is not what he told me. He told me that if they don't send him to something to his desk, he wasn't going to restart the program. I've heard that argument from supporters of the low-income housing tax credit program who want to see it restarted, that since the House and the Senate acted, therefore it gives the governor cover. Right. And by but that, restart... But that's, but, that's not, mean, but that's not what the governor said. By I'm restart, sorry. we should say all, all it takes to restart the program is for the commission that decides on these credits to actually start awarding some, right? right. Uh, and the governor is the chair of that commission, or actually he's not the chair, but is a member along with most of the other statewide elected officials. Uh, when Governor Greitens uh, stocked that commission or committee with uh, with folks who who were going to join him in not awarding any tax credits, uh, now Governor Parson was actually one of the people who voted against that. Um, so it is interesting to, to see where that might go. A lot of power does reside in the governor's hands as to whether uh, those tax credits might be awarded this year or not. Uh, let's get to you, Rachel. What's another thing that did not happen this session that you think is significant? So something that started getting a lot of attention and focus at the beginning of the year, and this goes along with the Clean Missouri repeal, was um, changes to the Sunshine Law that would have reversed opening up legislative records to the Sunshine Law and also gone further in terms of exempting more from the Sunshine Law when it related to legislative records. A lot of pushback on that from you know various entities, and it, it got a lot of attention. It may have cleared one of their chambers. I, I don't know, but uh, ended up dying out, as did... Uh, the bill to expand who could carry uh, guns on camp on college campuses. Again, something that got a lot of attention and just never was able to get completely across that finish line, whether they ran out of time or sponsor said, I'm not going to bother risking a filibuster in a chamber. We don't know. With the possible exception of the, uh, the effort to change Title IX regulations in the state uh, in such a way that it might be easier to uh, or, or more difficult to uh, remove students who are accused of sexual assault on campuses, all of these other items we've talked about that uh, that didn't make it through the session, it's reasonable to assume that they could have a pretty good chance of, of coming up again next year. Is that fair to say? I, I think that the, uh, the efforts to undo the state legislative redistricting system not only will come up again next year, but I think that they're going to pass. And if the Senate needs to use what's known as a previous question to, to get it on the ballot, I think that they will. I think I think Republicans absolutely hate this new system. They see it as a democratic scheme to basically winnow down the GOP majority. And there are even some Democrats uh, who are there are even some African American Democrats who are uncomfortable with the new plan because they fear that it's going to result in more white Democrats being elected at the expense 
of uh, black the black political community. On the other hand, voters voted for this, albeit with a lot of other ethics-related items, with well over 60% of the vote. The uh, organization behind Clean Missouri is going to have a lot of national money at its disposal to defeat whatever the legislature puts up. And I think that they have a really simple message that the voters voted for this and politicians are trying to undo it. And I think it's going to be up to the uh, Clean Missouri adversaries to convince voters otherwise. So I think that'll definitely come up. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised, if, especially if the governor decides not to restart the low-income housing tax credit program, if if that got revived as well. All right. So let me ask you this. Uh, There was a lot of very serious legislation. We've talked about a lot of very serious legislation this year, but there are some things considered every year by the General Assembly uh, or some things that happen there that are not exactly as serious. Uh, What is one thing that each of you will take away uh, as uh, as something uh, maybe a little less serious, but still pretty interesting that happened this year? Um, We now have an official state endangered species, an official state tartan, sliced bread day, and... Sliced bread day has been on the agenda for years now, I have to say. Yeah, it finally passed. It is, I believe, July 7th will now be sliced bread day. And um, I think there is now also also an official state fruit tree, the pawpaw, which was a, a, a school kid project in terms of how you look at the... Uh, how you lobby and take care of the legislative process. I, I, I'm going to have to agree with Rachel about Sliced Bread Day. And I know that may seem like a who cares type of bill, and it, it may be, but that's to celebrate the fact that Sliced Bread was created in Chillicothe, Missouri. Yes. A, a great town in Livingston County. I actually have a couple friends who are from there. And I think that it may just provide a little boost to that town's uh, I guess, history, and maybe it'll provide a little bit of tourism that way as well. You know, I I have no objection. I think it's the best thing since... I don't know. Uh, so Samuel, uh, <laughs> Sam, American cheese right, singles right. go uh, on the sliced bread. I will say you guys still can't see this because you're not here in the studios at KCUR, but Samuel King actually came in today wearing a kilt made out of the Missouri State Tartan. So um, <laughs> Pixar, it didn't happen, Brian. <laughs> uh, Samuel, what do you think is uh, something uh, significant but uh, perhaps not important? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think sort of uh, the, the one thing uh, you know I noticed on, on the center side, that, I mean, it's not legislation, but... But in terms of uh, something that's continued despite term limits and everything is the seersucker tradition. And some of the newer <laughs> uh, lawmakers, uh, as you know, as people might not know, that there's a tradition of wearing seersucker on Wednesday. Um, so um, it was interesting in some of it when it wasn't the weather wasn't as springy over <laughs> in Jefferson City. But um, that was something that some of the new uh, members have embraced as well. I remember there's one. Day late in the session that uh, Senator Jason Holzman, who's from the Kansas City area, actually changed into seersucker and out of it uh, because it was a long day. So he changed his jacket Not and actually then he took on it off. the floor no, of the Senate. No, no, that, okay, that would no. be against the rules. Right. Uh, I feel like that would get gaveled down fairly quickly. And Mike Kehoe has a very, very sharp gavel that yeah. wakes you up. They love gaveling each other down in the Senate. Uh, and Rachel, I know that uh, along with Samuel's uh, visual stimulus of the seersucker suits, you uh, you had an auditory experience. You will not soon. Forget. Yes. um, The the bell that calls the the chimes that call the Senate back into session are fairly pleasant. It sounds like the old NBC chimes. And it's, you know, this very polite voice saying, you know, the Senate is now in roll call. The Senate is now going in session. The uh, House chambers, on the other hand, have what sound like old elementary school bells. And if you make the mistake of standing directly under them when they are sounding, you don't hear much for about the next five minutes. Very loud. 
very jarring. The, the metaphor of an elementary school for the State House of Representatives will let our listeners decide uh, how appropriate they, they find that. Um, so, so a last question for each of you, a prediction, a prediction about what's next, whether it is uh, something the governor will surprise us all by vetoing, whether it is a piece of legislation that's sure to come back in some other form. What do you think we can count on coming out of this legislative session going forward? Jason Rosenbaum. I think that you're going to see a new level of organization from Democrats in suburban areas over this abortion legislation. I've definitely seen a lot of people who are not engaged in state politics become more engaged since this passed. However, I don't think that's where their organization needs to be in order to gain significant ground. It needs to be in exurban and rural areas where, frankly, a lot of the Democratic candidates that may win those seats may have the same position on abortion rights as the people that voted for that bill. I I read a a piece from Mother Jones trying to uh, say that gerrymandering was the reason that this bill passed or one of the reasons. And I, I have to take issue with that because a lot of the Republican seats that have been taken over over the last 10 years are seats that were traditionally held by Democrats in rural or exurban areas. And a lot of those Democrats were opposed to abortion rights. Now, whether they would have voted for this bill without the rape or incest exception, we don't know. But I think that's going to be, you're going to see kind of a, a, a definite increase in activity over this legislation. And it may pay dividends in the suburban areas like Jackson County and St. Louis County, and also places like Boone County. I think it remains to be seen whether the rural and exurban areas are are energized toward the Republican way on this. Boone County, of course, the only other blue county in the state where Columbia, Missouri is. Uh, Samuel King. I think uh, one thing we'll probably see is that some of the uh, budget concerns that we had this year that turned out to be uh, sort of the revenue situation in terms of income tax did turn itself around as people filed their taxes this year. There's a lot of consternation about that. But I don't think... Um, the tight fiscal times for the state are quite over. And we'll see a lot of debates about, A, how to necessarily, what to spend money on. And I think the conservative six, who one of their big pushes is getting rid of the income tax. I think they will make their voices known, particularly in election year, about the need for further tax cuts to stimulate the economy. And Rachel Lippman. I'll be curious to see, and I guess this is looking a little bit farther ahead to next session, maybe not as fallout from this session, as to whether they do restart conversations around Title IX, which is the process of handling sexual assault claims on campus. A lot of that kind of fell apart because of the secretive nature of how it happened. It was later revealed that one of the people pushing it had had a son expelled because of a sexual harassment concern. So with the conversations happen more openly, happen in more good faith, there may be some ground there where people realize that the system needs to be reformed, especially if federal guidelines come down. My prediction is that there will be a new bipartisan effort to continue to address transportation funding issues. Uh, the the $300 million in bonds that were approved by this General Assembly, uh, along with the $50 million in federal uh, funding that is hoped for, uh, will will have some impact on repairing highways and bridges in the state, but but not much relative to the, the size of the ongoing uh, transportation infrastructure costs of the state. Uh, There has been a a lot of push to find some uh, way forward. There was an effort to pass a fuel tax that actually Governor Parson supported. I think there will be, maybe quietly at first, but some efforts being made even right now to figure out next steps, uh, which may even include another, another run at an increase in 
Missouri's fuel tax, which is one of the lowest in the states. I'm Brian Ellison here at KCUR. Uh, let's uh, one more time go around and introduce ourselves uh, as we say goodbye. Samuel King, KCUR. Jason Merzenbaum, St. Louis Public Radio. And Rachel Lipman, St. Louis Public Radio. Uh, the Statehouse Blend Missouri podcast comes to you every uh, once in a while from KCUR as we cover Missouri government and politics. And politically speaking, comes at least once or twice a week on any podcast dissemination device in the internet universe. So wherever you get your podcasts, why not subscribe to both of them? Uh, they're both they're both a good listen, I'd have to say. Uh, for all of us, uh, thank you so much for uh, being with us and uh, join us next time and, and join us on our radio stations too throughout the year as we bring you the latest in Missouri politics and government. Take care.